Hello, welcome to the Weight Endurance Podcast, formerly known as the Session 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Waite, sitting across the table from my lovely co-host, Kathy Waite. Hello, everybody. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by our 2020 Base Builder Program. We're taking you through our annual off-season base training thought processes and training progressions to make you a fitter and faster rider by spring. And it's coming up on us. I mean, I think we have six more weeks of base. Whew. I'm so thrilled. Winter is almost over. Yeah, hopefully sooner than later. When's that groundhog pop out of That's not until February. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the sooner the better. It's been chilly, a relatively chilly winter for us. I think so, too. Here in Denver. Um, so we're on to um, episode 24. Uh, we want to talk about um, avoiding illness and tr- how to kind of train through and or adjust training programs mm-hmm. surrounding illness because it is that time of year. Absolutely. Uh, both of us have kind of been up and down with mild, thankfully, knock on wood, yeah. little nasal congestion here and there and stuff, but it's people are, are getting sick and can get sick this time of year, pretty, pretty common, so we want to talk about that. And then also our week 22 of uh, our base builder program, talk about some of the details or getting into some good challenging intervals and things. So mm-hmm. um, I like this time of year. It's like we've now got pretty good fitness from the early part of Base Builder. And now we're like getting to push the intensity envelope just a little bit. Yeah, and... yeah. We, You and I were talking a lot about this week's training block. So we're excited to share some of those insights. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we jump right into that? Oh, yeah, that? we could. Yeah. So what have we been up to? It, it seems like the interval sessions have been like prime topics of conversation for us and um a real a real buster (laughs) (laughs) right kind of a wake-up call yeah yeah i i was joking with some people in class how we were all getting a little bored with the aerobic intervals but now we are missing those because there's some anxiety yeah because we spend two months or so on harder ones keeping our heart rate kind of in check, keeping it aerobic, you know, working on like the aerobic strength. And yeah, in like November and December, definitely by December, people are like wanting to push it a little mm-hmm, harder. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, I always have to tell them like, just wait, We're yeah. gonna, there's plenty of intensity to come. There'll be times when you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so just be patient and take it all in stride. So we're there. So those listening to us maybe for the first time or don't know exactly what we're talking about, but um, we have our base builder program. We're into the second half of the trainer workout. So base builder for us, we divide into sort of basically two parts. It's kind of a low intensity aerobic base and then a high intensity aerobic base is part two. And that's what we're just getting. We're two weeks into now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that starts picking up with anaerobic threshold or lactate threshold training, which is what we've been doing mm-hmm. um, and will be doing for the next couple of weeks still. And then eventually into VO2s and anaerobic power and so forth. So um, this last two weeks, we focused on 64-minute power, which are relatively long duration intervals at moderately high intensity, kind of our hour power, 64-minute power levels. And um, it's a lot to take on. And those long intervals yeah. on the trainer can be tough mentally, if not physically. So Yeah, we... We're talking about that in class yesterday that, oh my God, so yesterday, let me back up. Yesterday we um, tackled the biggest um, blocks. We did two by 16 minutes at our 64 minute power. And right. There was some anxiety going into it for a few of us, like, can I do this on the trainer? Whereas if you go outside and climb your favorite mountain, your favorite climb. It's a little more tolerable, yeah. Which you're going to do this morning, this, right? Yeah, as soon as we're so done So where here. are you going to go, over to Lookout? I'm going to go over to Grapevine. It's like, a, for me, it's about a 15 minute hill. 
um, at this sort of pace and um, or 14 minutes. So uh, I'll start a little bit below that to get try to get it. Yeah, as, as you enter Idledale. Okay, yeah. so for lo- local people, you know what we're talking about. You take the highway or the little road up through Morrison up towards Evergreen and you veer off onto a back road, basically. Um, at the first little town, you go through Idledale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I can't wait to hear how this goes for you. I, I think it's much easier outside than inside. Oh, yeah. Mentally, it, the time goes by quicker. It's like there's more things to look at and fluctuations due to the grade Mm -hmm. but I mean that I mean that's one of the beauty parts of training on a trainer in a fixed environment is that it's so controlled and so static there's benefits to that one it's super tough mentally but Mm -hmm. it's also like so exact and precise where I'll be doing it outside um you know there's more fluctuations you have to be perhaps slightly better maybe at pacing because it's easy to go too hard or not hard enough mm-hmm. outside because of those fluctuations because but, you'll want to watch your heart rate you mean oh yeah i'll keep tabs on heart rate but also just keeping the the pedals the power up with fluctuations right because you don't want to spike up to way higher than the power you're supposed to on certain parts like on a yep. steeper grade for yeah. example okay, yeah yes yeah, that's interesting yeah it's very static indoors and um i thought the 16 minute intervals yesterday would be arduous torturous mm-hmm. but they actually weren't so bad like you picked some fun music and i just broke it into like sections of four like we've talked about so it was like four by four minutes and i'm like oh we're already i'm already halfway done this right. is amazing yeah and yeah sometimes i would close my eyes sometimes i'd have my eyes open i i would keep track of all my stats sometimes i would focus on um my rpms because i found for me that if i kept my cadence between 88 and 92 I was roughly hitting the numbers I needed yeah, to yeah yep and that's how that um, works mechanically for yeah sure. so I messed around with that so it was on my screen on my Wahoo element I had time of the interval which okay. was helpful to yep. just look at sometimes RPMs, so my okay. cadence and I tried to keep it as smooth as possible so that I wouldn't be going like 88 to 98 it was like around 90 basically yeah. is what I wanted to be at so just aware of like the tension around the pedal stroke, et cetera. Right. I have my heart rate right there because I knew for me I was trying to keep it between like 160, 163. So Which I, is right about nine, 90, a little under 90%. It's about 90% of 90% my. 90% of your yeah, max heart rate. I think, okay. 90, I think 165 would be 92% of my max heart rate. Okay. And I wanted to be a little bit more conservative and not destroy myself. Yeah, yeah. And then I also had um, my, my three-second power to to try because that fluctuates a little bit and um, I knew I was trying to keep mine around 210 208 to 210 okay so sometimes it felt easier to focus on my cadence sometimes it felt easier to focus on my heart rate sometimes it felt easier to focus on my watts and I just kept like a a scan of my wahoo okay yeah and it worked out great I actually did 207 watts for my first 16 minute interval. Okay. I think it was a little bit low because I messed up the first 30 seconds. My second interval, I I managed to average 210 watts. A little bit better. That's I was good. thrilled. Yeah. And I had gone into it kind of tired and wasn't sure, like sleepy because I hadn't slept super great. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And I was I was willing to back it off if I needed to, but I, I nailed it. Good. Yeah, yeah. Well done. You did, you did a good job with that for sure. But well, it did confirm. Yeah. That my FTP is not 222 like the test results showed. There's no way I could have held 222. So you tested perhaps slightly better, in quotes, Mm -hmm. than 
what the actual current level yeah. that you should be targeting. And that's fairly common. I mean, when we do any kind of power test that then you're like extrapolating from that data mm -hmm. to calculate, estimate, whatever other zones, usually lowering down things. So it, there's always gonna be a margin of error there. And we're just doing our best guess, our best calculation. And many times, I feel like with our test in particular, 90% or so is pretty darn accurate. I mean, right. from you know our 40 or so person test population in-house that we I get to take them through the test and mm -hmm. set their data and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty close. Now, some people sort of under-test, meaning their 64-minute power gets sort of under-calculated due to whatever reasons, and we figure that out and we mm -hmm. adjust. And then other people might over-test and their 64-minute power is a little inflated, and like, like yours, for example, which you found out I think in the first session, yeah, last two week, weeks ago, we talked about it on the podcast that uh, I think this might be a little high, but I'm super tired still from Arizona. I'm just gonna, and I have a little cold. Right. I'm just gonna see next week, but yeah, this week definitely confirmed that my FTP is actually more around, I'd say two ten. Yeah, yeah, and so what's great is these intervals, and it's a great way to start the high intensity progression mm -hmm. at the sixty four minute power because they're essentially a way to validate what your test is telling you or what your test results are telling you. So, um, and you find out because really you're saying the 64 minute power is in theory, the power you could hold for 64 minutes or let's just say an hour, you know, at eventually would be, become a maximum effort by the right. end of that. Right. So, so if you see if, if, if you, or if anyone is struggling to hit those numbers, that, that 64 minute watt number that's the target, and their heart rate's going beyond 90% of max heart rate to do so, chances are it's a little too high, and it, so you figure it out. And then vice versa, we had, uh, I know Bill was a little under tested because he had a great one minute power, so mm -hmm. it kind of skewed his test. I think Ruben was even slightly under tested in a similar fashion. So they were finding that they were hitting the power target with no problem, their heart rate was only hitting 85% or something of max. And so it's like, okay, let's bump this up a little bit. Okay, um, yeah. So bottom line is, or takeaway is like, our test our test is a snapshot on that day, in that moment, how we did. We, You may or may not pace it well, you may or may not be fueled or rested well, et cetera, et cetera. We're doing the best we can to come close, to, at least to identifying training targets. Mm -hmm. And then we need to adjust from there. Nothing's set in stone. Well, and, and it's constantly evolving. It too. is, and, and you have cautioned all of us not to be too rested before our tests because then we'll have this superstar result and yeah. then not be able to meet those requirements in the subsequent workouts. Right, and that's so demoralizing. Which is so maybe what happened to me. Like, I can test pretty well. It's like, it's a, it's a race, it's a challenge, and, yeah. you know. Yeah, and that can be demoralizing. That's why I think you always test in a normal training fatigued state and not rested and tapering for your test. <laughs> Don't taper. Yeah, and the love of God. so many people like that because they attach their identity to their FTP or to their power numbers. And, you know, they te they have an amazing yeah. test and often they'll hold on to their best result in the last year or two and call that their number and it's Yeah, not... but then it's demoralizing if you can't hit the, the numbers in your workout. Yeah, so the big thing too is for people like, don't attach your identity as right. a person or a cyclist to these test numbers. These are your numbers in the moment. They're constantly evolving, going up and down on a daily basis. 
to small degrees and over weeks they're definitely going up and down um so just yeah and it's not a snapshot necessarily of how you would race let's talk about how my ftp is a little higher than our daughter sophia's right but who won the five minute time trial up that trail go john trail in arizona yeah in our training camp sophia louise did right so she she'd beat you by 20 seconds or whatever with this five minute climb but your ftp or you know your power numbers are a little bit quote better than hers mm-hmm. but there's a lot of factors there a lot of factors yeah i mean um yeah, so she was getting a little frustrated in class that, oh, mom, why are you doing so much better? I'm like, right. kiddo, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the proof is in the pudding. You and I went and raced each other for five minutes, and yeah. and who won? What's you. way more important yeah. than the numbers, anyone's FTP or power numbers, is how well do you actually ride and race your bike, not right. who has the highest FTP or whatever. Yeah. So um, getting those numbers correct, I mean, it's key because if you – if you sort of intentionally or unintentionally inflate those numbers at FTP or the power numbers, you're just going to be always like slightly overtraining mm-hmm. and either not able to complete all the training, which is demoralizing, or you're just always doing that a little too much and you're digging that hole of fatigue a little deeper than it probably should be. And down the road it adds up and soon, you know, you're overdone, overdone. Yeah, so toasted. Um, I've always said it's way better to be 10% undertrained than 1% overtrained. I can't take that as my own. I think Mark Allen or somebody well, said that. Well, it's wise words. Day, and it's great advice. You've yeah. said it on the last few episodes of, this, of this, our podcast, but keep saying it because it's important to keep ourselves in check. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what thoughts did you have about the trainer sessions, either doing the sessions yourself this week? Or watching as a coach? Because you would watch all three classes. Right, right. Um, Well, a lot of what we just talked about nailed it. Other bits were both, I guess, for me personally and coaching people was as we, especially for these longer intervals, um, being able and willing to identify when you need to sort of pull back slightly so you don't overdo things. So um, an example is, um, so two Tuesdays ago, our first anaerobic threshold session was pretty doable and it was designed that way it was the the goal was to accumulate two blocks of 16 minutes worth of work at 64 minute power and i broke them up into just two minutes on 30 seconds off segments so it was very doable you got intentionally built in recovery Mm -hmm. periods every two minutes um everyone did super well and you're supposed to it's supposed to set you up for success then the next one it went to the uh Still two 60-minute blocks, but we went four by four minutes with mm-hmm. a bit of recovery in between. Same idea, built-in recovery. Um, let your heart rate come back down. Yeah, let your heart rate come down. sets you up for success, but you're still progressing. Then Tuesday this week, it grows again to two by eight minutes, and that's when it started getting more challenging. Um, for myself, I got through the first two sets, no problem. The second two sets um, of eight, I needed, my heart rate was just getting up to 90% pretty early on and mm-hmm. wanting to go above. I could have kept pedaling at the 300-watt target I was targeting, but my heart rate would have kept climbing above 90%. Therefore I, causing too much stress on your body. Right. It's just too stressful. So when your heart rate and your effort intensity level gets too high, it really puts heavy, heavy stress on your endocrine system, plays with like cortisol levels and... Um, all the stress hormones, mm-hmm. right? It goes, gets out of balance. You're not, it's going to interrupt sleep and therefore recovery. And you're not going to be able to absorb and adapt to the training as easily. And subsequent workouts will 
you'll continue to struggle. Um, so it's what that's why I like to have that sort of heart rate ceiling to not exceed or, or not exceed by much at least. So, um, so what did you do during the workout yeah, to fix that? So what I did and what I instructed others to do was if you know going into the, like starting the interval that you're likely going to exceed that heart rate number, build in some recoveries. And there's kind of two ways to do this mid-interval, um, particularly with these long intervals, is um, one is just simply shifting to an easier gear. And this is in non-erg mode because we don't do erg mode this year. Um, and this is one reason why non-erg mode is great because you can do this. Shift to one easier gear and keep the cadence about the same. So what happens is your power drops. Yeah, um, probably like 10 to 30 watts. Yeah, somewhere in there. So it gives you this like soft break. You're still doing quite a bit of work. So right. it might have taken me, say, from 300 watts to 270 watts or something, mm -hmm. rough numbers. That little bit of drop in the watts, that 10% or whatever, was just enough for 20, 30 seconds to where my heart rate could kind of come down four or five beats, kind of get this partial recovery, and then I could resume back again. So I never had to really stop. And these 10% for 20, 30 second breaks allow, took a little dip in my average power over the course of the longer intervals, mm -hmm. in this case the, the eight minute ones. Um, on Tuesday. But you didn't get hung up on that. But I didn't get hung up on that. But what happens is it's it's a tiny dip in that average. And then when I resume back to the 300 watt target, it the average kind of climbs back up. And maybe at the end of the eight minutes, instead of averaging a perfect 300 watts, it was 296 watts or something. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it is I was able to, one, keep pedaling for the whole duration of the eight minutes at or very close to the power target. And only sort of missed out on, in quotes, a little bit of, you know, 20 seconds worth of the full intended work. So okay. still got a lot. So that's one way to do it. Shift to an easier gear. That'll give you a temporarily a temporary reduction in power. Mm -hmm. Let's you recover a little bit, and then you go again. <clears throat> the other option is if you need a bit more recovery, and this is more common when we get into some of the higher intensity work in the coming couple of weeks in the VO2 sessions particularly, when your muscles get fatigued. Um, because with these longer anaerobic threshold intervals, it's our muscles are typically able to do this, like meaning we can I could and we could keep pedaling, but our heart rate just would continue to climb beyond what is really what we want to be. Whereas later when we're doing even higher power work at like VO2 max intervals, usually what gives out is our muscles actually start kind of wanting to surrender and we need that break <laughs> for our muscles to recover. Um, so when that occurs or and or your heart rate's just getting too high, you can literally just stop pedaling for 20 or 30 seconds. So instead of a five or six beat heart rate drop, maybe you're getting more like 10 to 12 over 20, 30 seconds from stopping pedaling. It's going to take a bigger chunk out of your average power for the whole interval. But then you get going again and you finish. So as an example, 300 watts is the target and I stop pedaling at the four minute mark for 20 seconds to let my heart rate come down. Pedal again, maybe the average is 289 or something. So mm -hmm. it's close, but not quite there. But the way I look at it is even if I took, say, a 30 second break over, you know, within that eight minutes, I'm still getting seven and a half minutes at the 300 watt target and inserted in the middle there somewhere or at some point was this little break. 
but I'm still getting seven and a half minutes out of the eight minute planned work. So I'm getting most of the work done. And I have that break without overloading and overstressing myself. So those were the two bits I gave each class going in, especially in these 16 minute ones, because the longer the interval, the greater the chance your heart rate's gonna build and, and push beyond what you want it to. So often you need to insert those little breaks. So there's those two options, the, the soft pedal sort of partial break or the full break, mm -hmm. um, depending on what the needs were. And, um, you know, this is one of the things that's great about erg mode. Erg mode, you, or I mean, sorry, non-erg, yeah, yeah non-erg mode. Erg mode, you can stop pedaling and then pedal again, but you can't back off 10% because the machine sort of locks you in there. And, mm -hmm. um, so I like, I like the non-erg mode. And I think most people are right accepting that in class this year. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Well, I actually, yesterday when we did the first 16-minute interval, my muscles were the ones that mm. were, was the problem. Okay. Because I was sore from having added the dynamic plyometric intervals this week in our strength class. Okay, okay, yep. And just doing strength work because I had missed, you know, a few sessions um, over the past month. I had to just so focus on being efficient with my stroke and just being willing to suffer a little bit that first block knowing that the way my body works eventually the muscles will just like lube up warm up but it was i was uncomfortable okay like my glutes were kind of aching my quads were uncomfortable. but you didn't have to take a break i didn't know because i'm a tough you made it through, right <laughs> but i was not very comfortable and i yeah. found the second interval to be much easier yeah which is probably i'm just throwing it out there probably because you were more warmed up yeah i'm you know how i am i'm yeah. super slow to you're warm a up. long warm-up yeah. person for sure um one more thing I'd say about yesterday yeah. and, and just really this block of training is that if you can have a positive attitude, it goes a long way. Okay. Because, you know, Sophia was just sort of struggling mentally and getting down on herself. And I think that just had a domino effect on her out, her power output. Yeah. And um, I just try to keep really positive. Um, have a Coke and a smile. I joked with you about that yesterday. Yeah, I yeah. drank a Coke before the workout and then I tried to smile you know, not necessarily on my face, but like with my attitude during the workout yesterday. And even though I had a few moments at each, during each interval, in, interval where I thought, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I don't know if I can do 10 more minutes. I just said, nope, I can. Like positive, positive, positive. And um, that just was so important. Yeah, yeah. So important. Yep. Like remind yourself as you're doing these hard intervals, like you are strong, you can do this. Yeah, it's a big mental game, especially yeah. well, any interval session and or race, um, but pr I think particularly on the trainer, the trainer is just hard because yeah. it's so static and steady. Mm -hmm. um, it's a big mental game. I mean, I, I know my old training uh, or ex-Terra racing buddy, Josiah Middaw, did, I think he still does, but I know at the time he would do mo the majority of his hmm. winter training and definitely all of his interval training on the compi trainer. And, you know, it, I think that, played a big part. I mean, he's one of the strongest mental athletes, Absolutely, I think, out there. Like, yeah. he can dig so deep and stay in the moment regardless of what's going on inside him or around him. And I would attribute a lot of that to the trainer workouts. Yeah, he's incredibly tough. Yeah. Um, so it builds you up, not only physically, but mentally, mm -hmm. too, doing the, the intervals on the trainer, for sure. Um, as I say that, I'm going outside to do mine because <laughs> getting soft in my old age. But, no, that's not why. Um, you say that, and then tomorrow morning you're going to bundle up and leave the house at 20 degrees and there's no way in hell I'm going to yeah, do that. Yeah, that's a different kind of craziness, I guess. But um, very good. Yeah, and I think one last little tip too kind of surrounding all of this is um, 
thinking about fueling. So you mentioned having like that Coke before mm-hmm. the workout yesterday. And there, I would think there's no doubt having those extra sugars right before um, and even a little bit of caffeine perky up definitely helps. So thinking about, because we are, we have transitioned from that low intensity base aerobic base building mm-hmm. from November and December into this higher intensity aerobic base building for January and February. There's that shift in training, that shift in energy system also needs, there needs to be a bit of a shift in fueling. You know, it goes back to, I think it was episode nine, uh, where we talked about nutrition periodization for training. We're training the lower intensity. We can, we don't need as many carbs. We can eat a bit more fat, um, some extra protein with the weight strength training we were doing. Now it's like, we got to bump up the carbohydrate or sugar intake Mm -hmm. a little bit to fuel these types of workouts. Um, and then subsequently adjust that way. So yeah, and it's not my norm to drink a coke during the day. Right. It's, it's well, reserved it's for workouts. Reserved for workouts or, yeah. or races only. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I needed it yesterday. I felt kind of lethargic and yeah, yeah, it, it worked. Right, right. So takeaway of just for everybody, if you're if you find yourself struggling in these workouts, take a step back, look at what you're eating. You know, through that day, that morning, whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, and think of, make sure you're getting enough of the carbohydrates you need because that is your energy source right there. Like we're starting to burn a lot more sugars in these um, higher intensity workouts. They're all still aerobic workouts, but m- much more strain on the um, sugar system, you know, the glycogen system. Yep. So um, making sure you're getting those carbs in. Um, this is not a time to be <laughs> keto or whatever. No. So. Um, all right. Should we jump into the questions? Yeah, we can dig into some questions. All right. Our friend Jack Boltz emailed another um, question into us. So, hello, Jack. Um, it says, hello, Cody. I hope you guys had a great time in Arizona. It looked great. I'm so jealous. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I wanted... Oh, can I interrupt, though? Yeah. Um, right before we started this podcast, you got a, an alert on your phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that just reminded me of it. That Scott USA... Yeah. Reposted some of our photos from our camp. Do yeah, you they shared. Say something about that? Yeah, it's really cool. It's exciting to see. So, so Scott Bikes is a uh, Swiss company, but then there's um, Scott Bikes, uh, Scott Sports USA is like the US um, distributor and they're in Utah. Um, and they, uh, they're partnering with us big time this year. That's, we're super excited. Uh-huh. And, um, and I sent them some photos from our camp and, um, they just like literally an hour ago, or right as we were queuing up here, less than an hour ago. Yeah, they shared. Um, we're what sharing. We sent them. Yeah, which is really cool. So if you don't follow them already, yeah, check out Scott Sports USA on Instagram. So at Scott Sports USA, um, it's just a fun thing to to follow in your feed. Um, a lot of people don't realize Scott is also involved in snow sports and motorcycle motor sports oh, I didn't and running, right? They make running shoes. So they cover a lot of that sort of stuff. So when I sent them this, they were like, oh, this is perfect because, you know, they were been posting heavily on the snow mm, ski side mm-hmm. of things. And they're like, oh, yeah, we forget that half the country is still riding <laughs> right. their bikes, right? So um, so we sent them these and they posted them and getting the shout outs and hopefully some Well, it was a really cool exposure. shout out. Um, they said... Uh, the future of cycling is in good hands with weight endurance. I mean, what a nice, like, pat on the back. Yeah. Like, that, that they recognize the importance of what we're doing. And sometimes I forget what we're doing is cool because we're just living our life and right. riding with these kids. But it it is really cool. Like, I, I would have loved to have had this opportunity as a high schooler, and so would you have. Oh, so yeah. 
Thank you so much, Scott Sports USA, that you are giving us a little kudos, a little shout out. Yeah, so give them a follow. And yeah, we can't say enough not to make this an advertisement, but we love our Scott bikes from last yeah, year and sure. our new ones this year. And um, super excited to be racing on them again. So yeah. Um, so cool. Okay, yeah. back to the question. Yeah, I yeah. just thought of it when Jack said he was jealous about our trip. Um, okay, I wanted, Jack says, I wanted to ask you how to transition from base to race prep. I bought the 18-week base builder program, but I didn't start it until late November. Therefore, it wraps up May 11th. I was thinking of doing Ridgeline Rampage, a local race here in Colorado, as my first race on May 2nd, and the 12 hours of Mesa Verde as a three-person team the following weekend. Okay. I'm on week eight of the 18-week plan, um, and the races I mentioned are probably C races for me. So should, should I stick with a ra uh, the base builder program through May and then switch to a, a race prep plan in preparation for nationals in early July? Thanks as always. Love your podcast. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Jack, for the question and, and listening and following the program. So, um, yeah, basically, in a nutshell, I mean, we are getting to that time of the year where some people, depending on when you started, how long you, your base builder is, like we finished base builder then it's into race prep which gets you where base builders like general fitness prepping all levels and types of cyclists for mm -hmm. their season race prep is where things get way more specific to the race um and we're getting close like we said earlier like we're six we have six more weeks of base um so to answer jack's question he what i told him is you want to finish the base builder mm -hmm. especially because those first races are c races right had he said a or b this might That'd be, be a different, different story yeah. yeah um and the other thing and i think i've said this before but it's important is like about halfway or definitely two-thirds of the way through any of our base builder programs you're going to have a lot of fitness mm -hmm. and you could actually enter a race and probably or most likely race very well on mm -hmm. the fitness that you've got so it's not to think like well, i'm i'm in base builder mode base phase you know, I can't or shouldn't race or I'm not going to race well. That's not true. Yeah, I feel like I could go race right now yeah. and, and do well. Exactly. Yeah, because we're past the halfway point mm -hmm. and we're, we've got, we're continuing to build fitness, but we've got a lot and we're eager to race and we, we can and, um, you know, we may do a, a, a very low C or D level race in February possibly. Um, and uh, that can definitely do it. So I advise Jack to, you know, finish the base builder program, get through that. And then you'll be ready then to switch over to the race prep. And, um, you know, I told him or suggested to him that uh, when that time comes, you know, we have stock race prep plans. He's, mm -hmm. I think he said he's training specifically for cross-country nationals. Um, and or we can do uh, custom plans, race prep plans, that if you're – so our stock plans for, like, cross-country, I think, are eight weeks, marathon, 10 weeks, and ultramarathon, 12 weeks long. Um, you know, if you have – if you finish Base Builder and you have 12 weeks into your cross-country A race, almost anyone and everyone will have other races in there building up. With a custom race prep plan, we can use the duration, the amount of weeks you have, to create – a customized program and insert the races you're doing, insert recovery where you need it, and kind of build a whole customized training plan, basically. So would someone email you and ask you to help? Yeah. With that? So to do that, it's on our website, um, endurance.session6.com, um, and that will be evolving into weightendurance.com here shortly. Um, but all those links will go there. I'll have a link in the show notes. But yeah, there's you can email. Um, there's a couple different options on the level of custom plan. There's one where I just build it 
and hand it to you based off of the, the data you supply me and um, you go and you're off and running and you can always email with questions and things. Um, the other one is what, what I call the custom plan plus and that one has two week intervals where I touch base with the athlete. Mm. Um, so it's, so it's sort of like it's more similar coaching, to coaching yeah. yeah and see how things are going. How are you recovering? How are you eating? How are you sleeping? Mm. How what's your uh, completion rate of training? You know, are you progressing too quickly, not quickly enough? You know, those sorts of things. And then I can adjust the plan okay. every two weeks at, if needed. So that's a great option as well. Um, so those are options, the custom plans above and beyond our stock plans. Okay. Um, and I suggested, you know, if you're going to have, I think he was going to have like three months upon the finish of base builder to his A race, that that would probably be the better way to go is get a custom plan We'll plug in all the races you're going to do, build you up, and, and you'll be good to go. So, And we can do that with mountain bike racing, gravel racing, road racing, triathlon, all those uh, styles of racing. So um, it's a good way to go. All right, Jack, let Cody know what you need. Yeah, just let me know, Jack. Thanks, thanks for the question. <laughs> Tell Sherry hi. All right, our second question comes from Charles Merritt. Um, it's a question about a training peak Plan, training peaks plan. Okay. Hey Cody, will it, will I be able to complete this plan with only a heart rate monitor and not a power meter? Thanks, Charles. Okay. And I believe you said he was um, shopping for a gravel race prep yeah, plan. Yeah. The plan he was referring to was like ten week gravel plan, race prep plan. Um, and yeah, the short answer is yes. You can definitely do all of our training with just a heart rate monitor and not a power meter. Um, the difference is sort of between the two, or the way I like to think of it, is a power meter helps you pace um, the intervals better, like the higher intensity stuff, um, more effectively. It also provides you a way to, to test and measure progress mm -hmm. as well, um, where the heart rate monitor is often, quite often, what we almost like utilize more in terms of regulating ourselves mm -hmm. in training, making sure in most cases that we're not going too hard. Um, in fact, I told people yesterday um, with our 2 by 16 minute trainer session that the power that they're getting from the Wahoo Kicker Smart Trainers, you need to focus on that in the first half of the 16 minutes as a means of not going too hard yeah, yeah. and keeping yourself controlled. Because it's easy the first couple oh minutes God, of a jump long out of interval the gate like a yeah, crazy person. to be 10% or more over your target. And then once you get past the halfway point, roughly, of the interval... Then we're starting to look more, you want to try to keep that power the same, but we're using heart rate as mm -hmm. the governor, right? So that's when it goes back to like, don't exceed, you know, 90 to 92% of max heart rate. Yeah. So both are used as a means of like a target and then like a, a governor. So I always think of power early on because heart rate lags behind the effort. So it takes sometimes several minutes for heart rate to yep. adjust and stabilize to the effort. So that's where power <laughs> is great. So when you are doing the short high intensity intervals like VO2s, anaerobic powers, the power meter is super, super, super useful. Um, and I'd highly recommend one, but you don't have to do it. You can go kind of by RPE and a little bit of heart rate if, as long as the interval is like two minutes or right. more. Well, for years, all I had was a heart rate monitor. Yeah, yeah. And I, I figured out how to do certain intervals based on how it felt, um, how far, if I were outside, how far I road up a road yeah um but yeah i guess the danger is you would over you would overshoot your effort yeah it's easy to do because you um, yeah 
But I managed for years with just a heart rate monitor. Right, right. So it definitely can be done. And then another little note on our where our base builder programs start low intensity and a lot of heart rate focus and then build to the higher intensity and kind of progress more to power focus. Our race prep plans pick up where the base builder leaves off at the higher end mm-hmm. and then actually work downward in most cases, especially for gravel, anything endurance oriented. Um, downward going from the high intensity back out to the longer, lower intensity. So it starts with high intensity where power would be super beneficial, um, but you can get through the first few weeks pretty well with heart rate. And then after those first few weeks, power is going to, or I'm sorry, heart rate is going to be just as valuable, if not more valuable than power um, as we get to the longer and lower Mm -hmm. intensity rides where we're training more down the aerobic system. Um, so yeah, that was the long answer. <laughs> well, it does, does this go back to this, the, um, versions of training plans you sell to that if he were just training with heart rate monitor and not power meter, then he, sh- he could just buy the version two. Uh, yes, you could. Uh, although both version two and version three have heart rate and power oh, they do. and okay. RPE recommendations and targets. The difference is version three has the structured workouts that upload to devices. Oh, into the smart trainers. Into the smart okay, trainers yep, I got and that devices. Confused. Yeah. Um, so it's like the, it's already like built for oh, you. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The more modern thing with Training Peak. So um, that's the difference there. But both versions have heart rate references and targets, power references and targets, and RPE. So okay. even without a heart rate monitor or power, you could do it. It would be a lot more vague I guess and Mm -hmm. not as exact and precise but it's certainly doable okay anything else about that or should I I think that's good yeah thanks Charles so the third question question actually came to you through Training Peaks platform okay because someone was searching for a coach and a training plan on Training Peaks you got a message from a person named Brandon Cornejo okay and he says "Um, hi Cody I've been successfully using your weight training plan this winter thanks for putting that together cool I am planning on completing the Portland Xterra in August, but doing the duathlon, not the triathlon. I am primarily a cyclist reaching out for other sports, so I'm just learning how to add running to my training. Can I use your triathlon plan and take out the swimming, swimming portion to have a viable duathlon training plan? If it is more complicated than that, please let me know so I can make an informed decision on how to proceed. Thanks, Brandon. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, well done, Brandon, thinking about trying some different stuff. We love Xterra, mm-hmm. um, and uh, think it's a great and thing we, to do. We um, understand why you don't want to jump into the pool. Yeah, swimming's <laughs> not my favorite. It was just you tolerated it to be able to do the triathlons, but um, but yeah, to answer his question, yes, if you're so duathlons are far and few between these days. They aren't as big as they once were, but if you're doing duathlon, um, you can follow our triathlon or Xterra plans and simply remove the swimming workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, those are usually set up with three bike workouts a week, three run workouts a week, and three swims a week, depending Mm -hmm. on the volume. Sometimes it's two of each, as well as some strength training. Um, so if you're removing two to three workouts a week in the swim, um, it's possible that's all you have to do, but you could also consider adding in additional, like additional bike. He said he's a cyclist primarily. That's what I would recommend. Stick with just the the lesser amount of the running as you learn running and adapt right, to right. running. You don't want to just jump gung ho in there. And running is has high probability of injury. 
Um, so be careful with that. So if you take the swims out, you could just leave it there or add in some extra like easier aerobic bike riding. Um, right, as you have time and as the weather cooperates. Yeah, Because exactly. it is really time consuming to train for a triathlon. So it is, yeah, yeah, maybe you just take out the swim and, and you have a balanced life and your wife doesn't hate you. Right, <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> because That would be good. Yeah, you, it's like hours of time you save every week when you don't have to pack your bag, go to the rec center, walk in, get dressed. Yeah. Swim your damn laps. And then... Swimming was, <laughs> it's right. not the most time efficient um, workout. It's a great workout, but um, anyway, we digress. But yes, to answer his question, you can just simply remove the, the swimming and, and go from there. So yeah, good luck with that. That'll be fun. Awesome. Okay. So I have one more thing I want to talk about. It's a follow-up. It's not a question per okay. se, um, but the last podcast, we uh, read an article, or pardon me, an email from our friend Blaine, our yep. old friend that we knew through Adrenaline Cycles in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. He reached back out after many years of not seeing him and said he was interested in doing our strength program. He has some back issues. Right. You know, can he modify? Can it accommodate him? Yeah, cetera, he had um, yeah. spinal stenosis. Yeah, and some, and some like degenerative discs, discs yeah, issues. Which so, I have the same exact right. diagnosis. Right, you know, I have my fuse back, blah, blah, right. blah. So, um we got to meet yesterday in person at the gym. Cool. And, you know, I, I'm i not a physical therapist. I always say that right, right from the start. I, I'm coming at um, like a one-on-one training session with someone just for my own back journey, like what I know about back injuries and back conditions from, um, from experiencing it myself and from watching you, from learning a lot from physical therapy sessions myself yep. over the past 10 years. And to throw it in, uh, USA weightlifting certified yeah i've been yeah sure i've done a lot of certifications you've learned a lot about i've learned a lot um but by no means am i a physical therapist or a doctor so i just listened to everything he was telling me um one thing that was very strange that jumped out at me was that he'd had a doctor tell him not to do any core work really okay yeah and i think my first thought was oh that doctor's probably um just thinking of core work as like a basic sit-up. Right. And and a basic sit-up can be really bad for someone's yeah, back. Yeah, the flexing if, of the yeah, spine. Yeah, the flexing of the spine, spine if they have yeah. certain back conditions. Um, but it like pissed me off, to be honest, like that she... No core whatsoever. ...said no core because I think that's part of his issue, that he's just very weak. Okay. And he, and he loves cycling and he'll go ride with his buddies and they're like hammering it, like crazy hammering right, it. Right, without like a strength base. There's no strength base and, and he's um, an assistant principal at a high school in town. And, and he's so, what, 40 something? Yeah, so yeah. he's middle-aged, he sits at a desk a lot... He um, loves to push himself. He has a back issue, very little strength because this doctor told him not to, to do strength work. Yeah. And but he wants to push himself on his bike, so his back aches and hurts when yeah, he's riding yeah. his bike. And yeah. anyway, it was just upsetting to me. So we talked through it. Um, we had just an hour together. I think we're going to meet in another month and do another hour. But I just told him that a I think strength training is extremely important. Absolutely. And that a lot of his problems, I think, could be resolved by just adding some really basic strength to right. his body. Like twice a week, too. Yeah. And, but, oh, we did say, like, hey, why don't you just don't be afraid to do three times a week. Okay. There's no reason not to. Yeah. You can you can take our program, and even though it says what, session two, se- session one and two per week, just repeat, repeat one of them. Repeat one, right, exactly. Um, and then the, the, guide, the guidance, the guiding principle for each time he does strength work is pain. 
If something hurts, do not do it. Okay. And I wasn't sure as I went through the core steps. Well, we just went through the first four of eight because we didn't have time. So he's going to stick with those first four. And there was one move that he couldn't do, the the back extension on the stability ball. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, it hurts. I'm like, okay, don't. Do it. Yeah. Don't do that one. Do the quadruple the quadruped instead do the alternating superman instead yeah um so he's gonna listen to his body he's gonna he's gonna cut way back on the reps on on some of them and just like test the waters basically okay good um so anyway the point of this story is that if if you're listening and you have a known back problem you know number one listen to the advice of your doctors but if they are saying don't do anything i would say get a second opinion and then my non-professional opinion is that you can't go wrong with some sort of court work, even if it's like super basic, yeah. like you're holding a plank. You're holding a plank with your knees down. You're um, just doing very simple Pilates movements. Right, right. So not moving is not the answer. No, yeah, it's super important. I don't, you, if you don't use it or lose it, if you don't train yeah. it, it goes away and you're just weaker and older right. quicker. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm looking forward to having a follow-up with Blaine in about a month and see how he's doing. Okay, cool. That's a good little follow-up. Um, good. Well, Ooh. we got it. Ooh, we were talking. Yeah, let's jump right into what we have coming up. Okay. Well, let's cover, before we get into the training, avoiding an illness, training through illness, what to do, blah, 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 talk about week 22 of our base builder. Okay. Um, get that out of the way. So we're progressing. We'll talk specifically about the bike workout. So um, the last two weeks, we focused on 64-minute power. So 64-minute mm-hmm. power is the low end of anaerobic threshold or lactate threshold. So all energy systems are on sort of a spectrum. They're all interrelated. Um, but we're using from 64-minute power, so as hard as you can go for 64 minutes, up to about 32 minutes, half that duration, is that is the range or the zone of anaerobic threshold, the energy system. So the, these coming two weeks, now we're going to shift it up a little higher and focus on the high end of anaerobic threshold. So that's the 32-minute power target. We've identified that number via testing, inputting into the spreadsheet, and it calculates out what your 32-minute power. So if you were to go as hard as you could for 32 minutes, what would that average power be? That's your 32-minute power. How much more power can a person usually produce in 32 minutes versus 64 minutes? Okay, great question. So that comes back to the fatigue rate in our testing and kind of underlies the whole idea of our testing protocol where we do the four-minute and one-minute power anaerobic power tests and figure out the power decline from one-minute power to four-minute power. That gives us a slope on a graph fatigue rate of how much our power is like dropping off as we're increasing durations okay so then we can use that slope it stays relatively constant from four minute power to eight minute as long as durations are doubling to for mathematics mathematics eight four to minute to eight minute then eight minute to 16 minute to 32 minute that's where we get the 32 minute power to 64 minutes so that's where we get the numbers is mm-hmm. doubling durations and that slope and percent decline or increase, depending on how you're looking at it, stays to that percentage, that fatigue rate. So from 64-minute power that we've just completed, most people fall with a fatigue rate between 5 and 8%. Some There's outliers there, but the average is 5 to 8%. So that means your power is going to increase 5 to 8%, depending on the person okay. and what your, your fatigue rate is telling you. See, I like this so much better than the typical 
20 minute time trial minus 5% or whatever percent you're just arbitrarily picking to find your FTP and then basing off of FTP because everyone's a little different, right? So if you're more anaerobically inclined or if you're more aerobically diesel engine inclined, mm-hmm. right? Of how the power is going to change. And it's subtle. I mean, if you're saying 5% off, if you're taking 20 minute test and taking 5% off to estimate what you could potentially do for 40 minutes to an hour, I mean, that's not a big drop in decrease. And I think most people end up getting too big of a number and training too hard. Where our test figures out what that decrease is, fatigue rate, and then works off of that. Okay. So that was a long way around of saying we're going to be doing about 5 to 8% more power. So someone who's more aerobically inclined and has a low fatigue rate, it's not going to be a lot more power. It might only be 5% more power. Um, so, you know, let's say if your 64 is 300, then you're looking at 315. So it's not a huge jump, but it's somewhat significant. Um, vice versa, if someone's more of a speed sprint power athlete and their fatigue rates higher, let's say closer to 8%, then they're going to have a a bigger jump or increase in power for this next. Let me talk this out with you. If that's the case, if they're more inclined to be a power athlete and therefore for the 32-minute power workouts, they're going to be doing more power for their 32-minute intervals than maybe I would, but it's relative that they're better at doing that. They're not actually maybe doing more work because they're just more naturally inclined to do better or to, to increase more. Or I can't get these words out, but like... If it's if it's easier for them to do more power, is it really more of a tax on their body than someone else who's going to ha- just do five percent more because it, the five percent is as hard for them as someone else to do eight percent more? Yeah, in theory, the the relative load to the individual should be the, the same. The same, and they're going to be monitoring that by their heart rate. Yes, and we'll okay. still keep that heart rate cap. I saw your eyes glaze over, but it made sense in my head. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So the relative load, in theory, if the tests are accurate, we're all training equally as hard. Right, because it's what per the person. Heart, what the number is is going to be different based on, on the person. Well, I was just thinking about like Sophia saying, well, why are you doing 8% more and I'm only doing 5%? But it could be that that's the same yeah, stress on that person's body than 5% would be for her. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's way more customized to the customized individual. Customized that person. Yeah. All right, got it. Um, so... And in general, the people that are more aerobically fit and have a 5%, let's say, fatigue rate, their 64-minute power is already harder, more than likely, than relative Mm. than the higher fatigue rate power athlete because they can't hold as much power for an hour for 64 minutes. Okay. Because that's not their wheelhouse. Their wheelhouse is like, you know, sub 10-minute power effort because they're more of a speed power athlete. Got it. All right, I hope I didn't confuse anybody out there. That was like my craziness trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out the right the method to the madness. So in a nutshell, the idea is you're going to be upping your power based on your fatigue rate, and it's in your spreadsheet if you're following our plan, roughly 5 to 8% above where we were just training. Okay, so how do we break that down for a workout? Okay, so I always like to do intervals designed typically um, in sets of four. Okay. Um, so 32 minute power, that'd be four times eight minutes. That'd be 32 minutes, um, in our intervals, 
Why do we do that? Is because then you're training your maximum 32 minute power for 32 minutes total in the workout, but we're breaking it up into intervals, which is what the whole purpose of interval training. So it's achievable. You're training the target power, shorter durations, but it makes it, you can recover, you can achieve, and you can adapt and progress, okay? Now, that said, we're gonna start, for just like we did with 64 minute power, breaking them into even smaller intervals. Uh, Tuesday, it's gonna be four, t four sets of four times two minutes with a 30 second break in okay. between. So I'm pre-building that break in there. Okay. Some people may not need that, but I'm just gonna do it anyways to keep stress level low. It introduces you to the new power. Yeah. And then the next workout on Thursday, it increases four sets again of two times four minutes. So we're still getting the same 32 minutes where the work in the workout mm -hmm. just broke. Now they're a little larger intervals, a little larger chunks. Okay. Okay. And then the following week, we'll finally get to that four by eight minutes at 32 minute power. All right. Oof. Okay. And we'll do that twice. Um, so that's what's coming up. So a little bit more power. We're done, thankfully, with the super long 60 minute intervals. Focusing now on the building up to the four by eights to get our 32 minute worth of 32 minute power. Okay. Um, so definitely challenging workouts. I think these are this these two weeks are probably the most difficult because it's the balance of moderately high to high power for moderately long to long durations. It's like in that balance point there of hmm. power and duration. All right, we'll have to see how this goes. Yeah. I'm not sure which Be, ones I like better. The, yeah. These are the ones we just did. Right. I think these are definitely a little harder. They're shorter, but they're harder. Hmm. Um, and then when we progress to VO2, it gets even harder, but shorter. And See, I think those sometimes are those are those are more painful, I think, but they're shorter, so you get through them. It's a balance of we're scaring people of painfulness and uh, duration. So don't be scared. Don't be scared. They're fun. They're they're very yeah, satisfying. Yeah, it's that type. Um, what do they call it? like type two type fun? Two fun. <laughs> Once it's done, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's uh, kind of it in a nutshell. In the gym, we're just continuing with what we've been doing. We did a whole podcast one or two ago about our. Phase three, um, you know, stability and power uh, focus. This week we're introducing plank walks, which are really fun. Check out our YouTube channel. Um, right now it's called Session Six Sport Performance on YouTube. It has videos of all these, but we have plank walks. We'll go back through and do some more heavy carries, a little bit heavier relative to the first time. Um, we're introducing oh kettlebell swings, mm -hmm. classic movement, but amazing movement for in a Tabata format, which is cool. Um, where you go 20 seconds on, you'll get probably 10 or 12 reps, kettlebell swings, and mm -hmm. you rest for 10 seconds, do it again. Um, really good stuff. I love kettlebell swings. I do too. And then also introducing the single leg squat variation for knee extension. So, um, Yeah, I'm really enjoying coaching these classes right now and having the new core to extremity movements the new stuff, to, yeah. to show people and you know, help them figure those out and then doing the half Tabatas that we've eased into the, the workouts with right. the, the plyo movements, the power movements. It's been really fun. Right. And the half Tabatas will actually progress to, I guess, right. three, three quarters. Yeah. Three, three quarter, quarter tabata. tabata. Yeah. It's a little more extending that challenge there. So all good stuff. So check, check out our YouTube channels, videos on all of those if you're following our plan. Um, if you're not on our plan yet, what the heck's taking you so long? Get on it. Um, you can join our remote base builder program, which we are halfway through now, but it's prorated accordingly or if you want to start more from the beginning check out our 12 week 18 week or 24 week stock plans right. available on training peaks links are in the show notes um those are great i mean we are halfway through january now so 
you're probably looking more at like a 12-week base at this point, which is certainly way better than no base. Oh, unless someone's um, not racing until next fall. Well, that's true. Yeah, if you're a late summer racer or even a cyclocross racer, now's when you consider starting your big Or maybe base, somebody or... from the Southern Hemisphere is listening and or this Southern is the, be- Hem- yeah. the beginning of their base. Hola, yeah. <laughs> um, or good day. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, oh, my God. So there's our... Um, our pitch there. Uh, if you do go for stock plan, um, base builder 25, all capitals, when you purchase them on training peaks, we'll get you 25% off. So base builder 25, again, I'll have that in the show notes too. Um, all right. We're blabbing on here. We're blabbing so. on. We better move on to the main topic. Okay. Um, yeah. Avoiding illness and or dealing with illness. Right. Which is apropos. Yeah. We, like we said, we both have, well, you could probably hear a sniffling. Yeah. Um, we don't feel poorly anymore, but we just still have some sniffles. Yeah, I felt like I came close to maybe getting something more significant, but we I avoided it, which is great. So, I, this wasn't intentional. This was I put this on our docket like we, months ago, um, and it just so happened we both have had first-hand a little bug. experience now to talk about. It's fresh in our mind. So it is that time of year where colds and the flu and all those sorts of things are circling around. Um, so we want to talk about how to potentially avoid catching those things and then also if you do what should you do training wise and adjusting your plan and stuff um uh so maybe start with like super basics avoiding illness i mean the basic health promoting behaviors as i wrote down here it's like the obvious ones so we don't need to belabor it but But we will but we will (laughs) (laughs) and then we'll summarize the summary we'll summarize the summary (laughs) um but sleep i mean we are the sleep nazis i guess i love sleep I love talking about sleep. Um, I love dreaming about sleep. Yeah, it's the best. (laughs) um, It is the best way to promote health. Yeah, in general. Whether it's avoiding illness or just improving your performance or anything. So get your sleep. Studies show, books have been read by myself that eight hours is what you need. Eight eight to nine hours. Eight is is the minimum. And I hear everyone gasping or, or laughing, guffawing. No guffawing. Uh, That, oh, eight hours, I would be in my best dream you know if you're getting six hours of sleep please make every effort you can to change that yeah, it you is do in your not control feel well i don't believe you yeah i don't if you think you get by just fine on six hours of sleep you're fooling yourself you've done it maybe long enough that you have no idea what it feels like to feel good again try it is in your control there's things you can not do throughout the day and evening to get yourself to bed earlier yeah and sleep better um, it's hands down number one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not usually so, so emphatic about things. I know. We I'm don't want to step mood. on toes, but yeah, that that is so true. Yeah. Um, then, well, well, our youngest daughter, Noelle, has realized that herself this this year. Yes. And she made fun of herself the other right. day and said, how did I survive last year? Because she was staying up till close to midnight almost every... Needlessly. Oh my gosh. Like maybe painting, which is productive, but yeah, or she, just she, stupid an Instagram and Snapchat. BS. It's like, put but that she, stuff down. Yeah, but she's growing that. up and she's realizing that if she wants to function well in her culinary arts program and run with the track program after school yeah. and what she has a job, yeah. like she has got to get more and sleep. And that's the thing. It's like, so. it's a little conundrum, I guess, because it's like the busier your life, the more sleep you need. But the busier your life, the harder maybe it is to get the sleep right. you need. But So it's about prioritizing and really taking a step back and like identifying the areas where you are wasting time because if you're only getting six hours of sleep, you are wasting time. I hate to say it. So 
Um, let's move on from that. Okay. Uh, diet and hydration, those two are... Super key. Yeah. yeah. Cut out... I mean, if you want to avoid illness, like sugar and processed foods is what attracts illness. It screws up your gut bacteria, which helps keep illness out, all those sorts of things. Um, just, yeah, so just clean it up. Clean it up and... Um... Yeah, I just remember that that beer or the glass of wine at nighttime is sugar. And if that's right. your habit, like it was mine for years and years and years, um, it is hard not to, to, to drink that drink at nighttime if you're not feeling well. But just don't maybe have it that night because you could be sabotaging your your body. Yeah. And then likewise, load up on vegetables, uh, you know, fibrous variety. Not only are you getting lots of vitamins and minerals that help keep you healthy, but all that fiber prebiotic stuff gets your gut flora going and that's what keeps you healthy and fights off infection and whatnot so um love the gut (laughs) (laughs) you love talking about poop yes um wash your hands speaking of poop yes so just wash your hands like good old basic yeah get in the habit pretend like you work in a restaurant and you know scrub your hands you have to wash your hands frequently often um definitely before you eat or anything like that but just frequently wash your hands during cold and flu season so that's the basic stuff um, I wrote down some, I guess, anecdotal behaviors, things that I or we like. Um, the big one, we're both big believers in nasal rinse. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the neti pot kind of thing or the Neomed bottle. That squeezes, yeah. Getting that like sinus flush on a daily basis, whether you're sick or not. I do it every morning, year round. If I feel like I'm getting sick, I might add it before bed as well. And if I am sick or, you know, I might flush it a few times throughout the day. Yeah, um, I've heard some people say, well, I've, I've done the nasal rinse and nothing comes out, so why do I need to do it? I still think it's doing something. It's you know, Your sinus cavities have very little blood flow, and that's why you can um, trap bacteria in there and get sick. Yeah. So it's like just keep it moist, keep it lubricated, keep it cleaned out. Yeah. Um, oh, God, our friend Darren told us the funniest story last night after bike class that he had, had woken up not feeling well, did a nasal rinse, and I've had this happen an hour later, he's at, at the high school where he teaches biology, and he bends over to pick something up and, and just splashes. Oh out. my god! It just poured out of his yeah, that's, nose. That's he was feeling. humiliated, but it's it very very funny. Yeah. So do keep in mind that about an hour after you, after you do the nasal rinse, don't bend over over like the office meeting table and embarrass yourself. Right, and your papers all soaked wet. But um, but yeah, I think nasal rinses are super valuable. Along similar lines, I'm a fan of like Listerine type mouthwash um Mm, i can't do it really just uh, on a nightly basis uh throughout the year but especially if i'm feeling something because in my mind there's probably no scientific evidence on this but in my mind it's like that stuff is killing all (laughs) potential bacteria that handle it it hurts present a sore throat or something so uh that one's purely anecdotal yeah that's a codyism but i'm a that is what i do so i'll share it with you um and then other things like supplements i mean there's some maybe proof and tests or studies that it helps there's a lot of proof that things don't help i'll let you decide on your own but um i mean our big one go-to one is asia and they are a sponsor of us for the last 10 years but we've used this product for 10 years we don't get sick very often yeah and if we do feel like something's maybe coming on we heavily load up on it and it seems to help so we i mean you know we'll leave it at that and then right. there's other things more popular things like echinacea and uh, zycam and loading up on zinc or vitamin c things like that i mean it's not gonna hurt you so yeah you I don't think it's uh, elderberry hurt. yeah elderberry i mean there's lots of remedy home remedy type stuff and 
I don't know. I think like if we're we get sort of desperate when we feel like yeah, oh god, I do. might I feel yeah. something like a tickle in my throat. All of a sudden, money is no option. Yeah, and we want to throw store. everything at it. And <laughs> yeah. In general, if it's not hurting anything, why not? It, you know, I mean, you're just spending money, but if it's placebo Maybe and it help. works, it's still quote working, I guess. Yeah. But um, so that's up to you as well. Supplements. I mean, throw I would throw it all at. Yeah, for if sure. If I feel like I'm eating, because I don't want to get sick. Um, and take naps, I would say that, if you can. I know it's hard with people's normal jobs, but um, if you can, like, nap for a half an hour in the afternoon when you feel like you're fighting a cold, it'll go a long yeah, way. Yeah, I think it does. I don't know that there's proof necessarily, but I would agree that yeah. it's beneficial. Um, cool. Right. And then I draw down some notes on, like, riding in the cold. I mean, we're in Denver. Not everyone has to deal with super cold stuff. Some people have to deal with much colder stuff. Um and it is sort of a wives' tale that like being in the cold gets you a cold, and that's not true. I mean, colds are uh, viruses, right? Bacteria. I always get confused on that. No, colds are viruses. Viruses, yeah, because yeah. antibiotics don't do anything for viruses. Right, but they have nothing to do because it's always like, well, don't go out in the cold; you'll catch a cold. Yeah, but what is true is that the cold wears your body out yes. because your body is fighting to keep its core warm. Exactly. So it's added stress mm-hmm. that you're maybe adding on top of a hard bike ride or long bike ride or something yeah. or just a stressful Just general day. fatigue. Yeah. So riding in the cold is added stress. That said, let's I ride in the cold because I want to ride my bike. Um, so there are some quick little tips. Some of these are obvious. Um, but the main thing that I've learned over the years is keeping your core like from your shoulders through your hips mm-hmm. as warm as possible. Right. And it kind of goes outward. If you keep your core warm, your hands and feet are more likely to stay warm. Right, because the blood is, when your core is cold, your blood goes from your extremities into your core to keep your core warm, and then your fingers and toes go numb. And then you're really screwed. You're yeah, totally screwed. It's hard to and I struggle that. with it anyway because I have that Raynaud's, yeah, you have whatever, whatever. That. But... Yeah, so like layer up the base layers. Yeah, so put more, even more layers than you might think you need, like a, a thermal base layer and then some sort of additional insulating layer yeah, like and a then windbreaker. a wind-blocking layer. Yeah. yeah, like load up. Keep that, that core, the torso, um, as warm as possible. Um, base layers, like a thin wicking base layer is really important because mm-hmm. as we load up these layers, even though it's cold out, we're still going to be sweating you know, on the micro level close to our skin. Um, and the base layers work kind of like a, I think they call it the onion skin principle where it's like, I haven't heard that. Yeah. It's like trapping warmth in, but it's moving moisture out to like the second layer of clothes. So you don't have wetness right on your skin. Okay. Um, and that's really beneficial. So that's like those super thin, like see-through base layer type things that you put on first. They're not technically keeping you warmer, but moving that moisture to the second layer it's maybe like a like a thermal insulating layer. Okay. That can be wet and still do its job. Um, so it kind of it helps. So it's good, good stuff. And there are a lot of brands out there for that. I yeah, won't invest anything, in something that that is good. Yeah. Um, and I've heard too, like keeping it clean is key. So don't wear it like two days in a row because once you have like your sweat and oils okay. in there, it doesn't work as well. So if you're gonna ride in a row, maybe get multiple base layers or do laundry the day before or whatever. Um, Aside from just hygiene, but the actual effectiveness <laughs> of the uh, material. Well, that can be, 
confusing because wool socks you can wear multiple times. Yeah, and it's, no it's a little big different. Deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wool socks I'll wear three or four times sometimes. Yeah, and your underwear. Oh yeah, all the, <laughs> just turn it inside out and you got a fresh pair. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then your classic that you learned from Arnie Baker, your yeah. coaches, cover the knees under 65 degrees. Yeah, and a lot of people don't agree with this, but I, I don't know if there's scientific literature. I heard some Hey, if authority. Arnie if Arnie said it, you should do it. Yeah, I just think, especially if you're like at least 35 years or older, I mean, if you're younger, maybe you can get away with it, but keep those knees covered when it's even slightly chilly because it's there's a lot going on there and blood flow and muscle damage and, and damage potentially the soft tissue when it's cold. Just, yeah, keep the knees covered. I mean, my rule is keep the knees covered, you know, November through April, here in Colorado at least, <laughs> and uh, you're just doing yourself a favor of feeling better. I don't know, um, kind of an anecdotal thing. All right, so what, what happens if you do get a little cold? To train or not to train? Yeah, so if you feel like something's coming on, um, my advice, and we're not doctors, but my advice is straight up, first off, like lighten up your training load. I think you can still keep training, mm -hmm. but maybe don't, maybe pass on the VO2 intervals or something that's going to keep tons of stress on top of it. Yeah, I think if you just revert back to aerobic threshold, um, you can still move your body, but you're not going to stress your body too yeah. much. Yeah, and you're still getting like a good... I guess maintenance workout, mm -hmm. if nothing else, and but not, yeah, like adding more stress, um, and that goes for like work stress too. If you can lighten work or family stress, that's right. the goal, and then you'll stay. Hopefully, avoid that illness. Because um, it, it is it is easier to stop a cold from blooming than to recover from it, like to heal from a cold once you get it. Like once it gets its talons into your body. Then you're pretty stuck. Because I yeah. would say like three or four times over the past four months, I thought maybe a cold was coming and you did too. And then like we took a couple naps. We went to bed a little earlier. We drank Morrissea. Kind of rained in. We rained yeah. in some stuff a little bit. And then we didn't get sick. And yeah. like, oh, thank God. It's like a couple days and then you feel better and you're back on yeah, track. Yeah, but once that cold gets you, and then what do they say, 10 to 14 days before you... It can you, take a while. Yeah, yeah. It's a exactly. So... Lighten that load, training and work. Get a little extra sleep if you can, naps, or just get to bed earlier. Um, and yeah, like we just said, it's better to, to lighten that load for a couple days than to lose like a whole week or more because you actually get sick. Um, so just back things off if, for a couple days if you feel something coming on. Um, if you do actually get sick with a head cold, let's say, so sinus congestion, um, you know, maybe a mild headache and malaise and whatnot that comes with like a basic cold. Um, my opinion is, and you can chime in on this too, I think strength training is still good to go. And then just at that point, definitely you can keep riding, but dial it way back to way like 65% of max heart rate at the most. So it's like basically recovery level rides. Well, I'd say if you feel like it. Like if, if you're yeah. that sick, if that you feel you, like, like it. the thought of getting on your bike or lifting a weight is unappealing, then just why bother? Right. Don't, don't do it. Right. But definitely at that point you have to pull in the reins. Mm -hmm. um, and if you feel like riding and or strength training, I don't think you're hurting yourself as long as it's not overly yeah. intense. Um, but if it gets in your lungs and you have like bronchitis, you've got a nasty cough. Yeah, that's like the next level. 
Now that, that that let's distinguish between like you have a cold that's almost done, but you have some drainage into your into your throat and lungs. With a little cough. Yeah, that's different than like I have full blown bronchitis, I have walking pneumonia, I have whooping cough. Like at that point, yeah, yeah. just stop. Like for the love give of God, rest. yeah, stop. your body's under tons of stress trying to heal itself and get rid of these viruses. Just do itself, do yourself a favor and stop adding mm-hmm. any extra stress and let you just got to submit to it and get over it um, right or a fever that one that one should seem obvious if well, you have fe- a fever yeah fever absolutely stop if i think if a fever lasts more than a 24 hours or more I'd probably go see a doctor yeah at that i point. think so too i'm not a fan of antibiotics unless of course you need them because you're going to die but um so i push those off as long as you possibly can but at some point like i remember when i got that walking pneumonia like five years ago I finally had to. Well, you had to be like on antibiotics. antibiotics and steroid inhalers. And, yeah, but, but you had to. Like right. you were a mess. I, yeah, because it wasn't getting any better, so I had to. But we don't want to. Don't just jump on antibiotics day two of not feeling good, kind of thing. So, because that screws up your gut bacteria big time. Yeah, for sure. It takes a long time to rebuild. So. Um, okay, so now someone has a little cold. They're fretting that they're losing too much training. What do they do to adjust their training schedule? Okay, so if you simply miss like one to three days uh, because you kind of backed off and hopefully avoided, um, then just simply once you feel like you've avoided the illness, just pick right back up where where you left off. So if this was Monday, you're like, oh, I'm not feeling good, and you skip or really lighten Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and by Thursday you're like, okay, I think I could do this. Just start where Thursday is, whatever mm-hmm. you know, or if it's. Whatever it is on the plan for that day, pick it up there. You're probably going to be fine moving forward. No other adjustments really needed. Now, if you actually got some sort of cold or, you know, let's say mild illness, and you had to adjust or miss dial back four to seven days, so up to a week, that's where you do begin to lose a little bit of fitness. So what I would recommend is going back one week, basically the week that you just missed, and start back there. So if you have training peaks, if you have the premium account, you can actually just shift everything like forward a week and pick mm, up there. Mm-hmm, okay. Now when you do that, also the training targets, I would lower, well the first couple training sessions back, I'd probably lower your, if you're going to try intervals and things, lower the power down probably like 20%, a fair bit, the first workout or two, see how it goes. Okay. And then from there, your new normal is 5% lower than what it was before you got sick. Okay. Okay? That's because you've gotten sick, you've lost some fitness, and there's a probability that because the re- maybe one of the reasons or factors you got sick was maybe because your power was too high anyway, mm. going back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So let's lower it 5%. You're still going to get amazing training loads in, but maybe reduce overall stress just that little bit. So... Um, shift things forward a week. Now, if you have it, the plan so dialed in with your race prep and your peak and your A race and shifting it forward a week screws all that up, the base is more important. Shift it, everything forward a week and then lop off the first week of the race prep when you transition from the base to the mm, race. Okay, got it. And then that'll get you back onto that peak for the A race date plan. Okay, so move everything forward. Then go ahead to the first week of race prep. Take that off. It kind of slides back into place, and you're good to go at that point. And okay. you just have to do that because, unfortunately, you got sick. Um, now, if you were more significantly sick and you missed one to two weeks, up to two weeks, 
that's where go back two weeks. It's going to be hard, much harder to do. You're going to have to go back two weeks, you know, shift everything forward, and you're going to want to drop uh, power initially probably by 20% for the first few workouts as you get back into things. But then you're also going to want to drop your target power probably about 10% right. at least. Because you've, if you've taken two weeks off because of illness, you've lost fitness, your body had to go through major repair, mm-hmm. you're, you're, there's just no way around it. You, you're not as powerful as This you applies were. to injury as well. This applies to injury. Okay, because I'm thinking about Ethan, one of our Weedebo riders. Right. He had some weird like muscle tightness that it was exhibiting as like an IT band thing, but it turns out it wasn't. But he couldn't ride his bike for like 10 to 11 days. And yeah. then he got back on the trainer and rode an easy 30 minutes. The next day he rode an easy 45. And right. then yesterday, which was basically two weeks into this situation, uh-huh. he did part of the workout and you told him to drop his power back 10%. Right, right. And you think he'll be good to go or is he going to keep his number down 10%? Uh, I think he's going to be good to go. We're going to try Saturday, the group ride, and see how that goes. If he, If his leg feels good, which I think it will, then I think by next Tuesday he'll be back. I think he'll be back on track. One, he's young. Right. And an injury is slightly different than an illness because when you're ill, like there's a lot of things going on metabolically for healing where like an injury is more acute. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, so so we'll have to think about what to do with another one of our riders, We Devo riders, Toby, who had a nasty bout of the flu. Yeah, so he'll have to do something. We're going to have to back him back and dial yeah. things back a bit as he gets going again. Okay. So he'll be a little, quote, behind. But it is still just January, and we can make yeah, make it up. So I thought about him this morning, um, and I, I hope he's not going to be discouraged because I took months off basically with my IT band injury. Yeah, and I'm right back to where I'm stronger right now in January than when where I was yeah. last January, and I took like six months off oh, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's so, proven time and time again. Injury and illness take big chunks off. It's super hard in the moment, but most of the time you come out better. Because you're fresher and more mo- motivated mm-hmm. in the in the end, so um, yeah, don't don't despair. It just sort of screws things up in the immediate short term, right? Um, and then if you miss more than two weeks, you know, sadly that's a severe illness. You're kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of hosed, and you have to basically consider like maybe not doing that early a race you had and re- readjusting everything, and possibly going back to the beginning and rebuilding that base and just accepting that, you know. Yeah, maybe you pick a, a different hunt. race. Like, you're not going to peak for an A race in May, in, a, in April or May, yeah. but that's okay. But you still you Maybe you still do the race, and it's just a B race. Yeah. And then you peak for a July-August race right. instead. Right, right. Yeah, because more than two weeks, you lose considerable fitness. And if it was more than two weeks, you were seriously ill. So you kind of have to start from scratch, okay. basically. Um so you'll get, this is the way it is. Yeah. Sorry to break it to you. But like like I said, I took six months off basically and came back just fine. So right. don't get discouraged. Just keep taking good care of yourself and you will be back at it. Yeah, exactly. And so hopefully few, if any of you, will have to deal with much of this. But if you do and you're following our program, you know, you can send me an email. I can give you some tips and suggestions on what to do. Um, and that goes for any kind of questions. You can send them to us at um, email, Cody at session6.com or Kathy at session6.com um, or use our forum. Um, you know, we can get a little more activity on that. So on our website under the forum, um, you can answer, ask questions and members can answer them. Um, hopefully that'll, you know, 
get some additional insight. And then lastly, we'll wrap things up just by suggesting you subscribe to our podcast if you like what you listen to. Um, we're on iTunes and Google Podcasts, and we'd love to get more ratings and reviews on the iTunes, on the Apple side of things. Um, so give us five stars if you can, and if you can't, let us know why, and we'll try to improve things. Um, and then leave us a reviews are also helpful too because it lets people finding us and thinking if they want to listen mm-hmm. some insights and giving us a shot. So helps us spread our our reach. Um, well, good. Hopefully, Is that it? any more. I think that covers everything tips? I had here. Any more sermons? No, I okay. think we can step down. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Um, we hope you have a great weekend wherever you are. And um, stay tuned for our podcast next week, too. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, take care.